don't wait until the discomfort becomes so great. You know, your body gives out or you lose somebody that you really care about in your life before you make the changes that you probably already know you need to make, but have not been committed to. Welcome to Evolve Leadership, the arena where high achieving leaders are challenged to redefine their limits. My name is Angus Nelson. I grew up in the United States and I now live in Lisbon, Portugal. I'm an executive coach and I've spent my career advising and training leaders from startups to Fortune 500 companies. And here's what I've learned. An old, ineffective leadership framework will always keep you on a hamster wheel, consumed with work-life balance, burnout, and stress. Here on the show, each week we'll help you rethink the path to achievement. We'll help you discover new principles, new philosophies to the modern leader. Look, the world is relentlessly changing, demanding a new era of leaders. It's time to redefine your limits. So enter the arena, my friend. It's time to evolve. Welcome to the Evolve Men Leadership Show. Tim, I cannot wait to uh, have you hear this interview with my friend today. Yeah, you got to interview one of your good friends, Raheem Fazal, and you talked about reimagining. But I have a question. How did you meet Raheem anyway in the first place? How did you ever connect? So I used to run uh, an innovation association. Uh, It was all like Fortune 500 brands. We were hosting an event. I put all this curriculum together, blah, 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 blah. And he was one of the attendees. Uh, he was a member. He's like, I want to take you to one of my favorite places. And he ends up taking me down to the financial district in New York City. Nice. And uh, we just ate just incredible food. But the one thing in particular I remember was this Vietnamese river crab. And it was served whole. And so you bite into it. And the way it was prepared, the shell became like crunchy and edible. And so you like threw your mouth and you're like, crunch, crunch. Oh my God. It was delish. Yes. And next time we are there, you got to take me there. And you talked to him about reimagining. Tell me about that conversation. So we talked about some different areas. So one in particular is he kind of disrupted with his newest company, education. So reimagine education where he took students uh, through his program and prepared them to become sales uh, development representatives for you know tech companies. So you didn't have to go to college. You could go through a program and immediately jump into you know a seventy eighty thousand dollar job. And what does that look like for the future? We get into that. Number two, we talked about his startup world. Like he's, I think, on company number four that he's been a part of. And so he's going to talk about reimagining how he did his startups differently as he progressed and matured, became a better leader, et cetera. And then, of course, that led into a reimagining of self, how he sees himself and the work he did to become a better leader, to be able to be more, as he called, conscious. And I think it's a fascinating uh, conversation. So I'm thrilled to be joined uh, with Raheem Fazal, the founder of SV Academy. Raheem, he co-founded several startups, as I told you before, and he's been recognized as Forbes 30 under 30. He's got a revolutionary education and employment platform that trains individuals with the skills and knowledge needed to thrive in the tech industry. And he has this passion for democratizing 
access to opportunity and has dedicated his career to empowering individuals from diverse backgrounds to jump in and kind of fast forward them into the tech workforce. I'm super excited to have you guys meet him. This guy is committed to a future of education and employment like we've never experienced before. You can hear more about it in just a second. Please welcome Raheem Fazal. Hey there, I'm talking to an old friend. My uh, introduction to Vietnamese river crabs in New York City. (laughs) Raheem, great to have you here. Uh, Dude, how are you? Amazing. You know, it's the, the last few months have been so great. Even though we're doing this virtually, I feel like I've reconnected with a lot of people uh, that I have missed uh, over the couple of years of, of uh, COVID, uh, you know, chaos. Dude, that's awesome. And yeah, always great to see your smiley face. Um, while I was looking for something on my Google Drive, um, I came upon a contract from SV Academy with you and Joel from when you and I were first talking about, oh, could Angus help oh, us in this wow. coaching role? Wow. Yeah. And flash forward, guess what I'm fucking doing? I'm coaching. I love it. It's not, you know, it's so not surprising to me. I, I feel like there's a, a whole group of people uh, who came into my life uh, around that period of time who have been moving in this direction, many of them formally. And uh, obviously, there's a connection with with my my business, SV Academy, but um, also um, some of my dearest friends, uh, you know, my sister, my wife, uh, I've seen like over a period of four or five years kind of move into um, coaching roles and and really, really loving, absolutely loving it um, in in all dimensions. So I'm uh, I guess I'm not I'm not surprised. Well, thank you. And I would say, and this this is a great setup actually for some of this conversation because I believe why a lot of us who have gotten into coaching the way we have, whether you use the word coaching or advising or strategic something or other strategery, all that stuff comes from this place of self-awareness and emotional yeah. intelligence and having this kind of soft skill strength that to this day is now becoming more and more predominant as actually a core strength. Mm. And there's not enough leaders, particularly male species of leaders, who actually have a connection to self-awareness, and emotional intelligence. So that's a great setup for today because I want to talk to you about, you've done what, four companies? Mm-hmm. And each one of those probably has a Raheem, like one- Ah, uh, yes. Oh, 1.35, you know, 2.7, totally. all the way through. Totally. And so totally. I want to start with kind of just real fly by 30,000 feet, each of those four steps. And, and I mean, you know, the four companies plus time at Oracle. Mm. And what does that look or feel like just real briefly? And then we'll kind of dive in from there. Yeah, I think the punchline is, is a journey uh, evolving from sourcing approval externally to sourcing approval from within. Come on. And so when I think about the first company, I was in my teens. I was in high school. I was in government housing. I, uh, you know, people didn't have high expectations of me. I I didn't, uh, my world was very small, uh, but there was something, uh, something I wanted that was greater than, you know, my environment. And so I, I hustled. I, you know, did whatever I needed to. I broke whatever rules were necessary. Um, you know, I hid the fact I was running the business from my parents until it was sold. 
And thankfully, it happened to be uh, successful enough where we we sold it before I graduated high school, and I could chalk that up as a as a as a, as a big win in my life. Uh, you know, something I kind of put my mind to and achieved that felt very meaningful for me, right? Beyond kind of really giving me some financial means that I'd never had before. The second business I started right away, but now I was coming from a, a, a place of having some, some notoriety, some, some recognition, some expectations. You know, I had just been in the press and, and so on in that first business, kind of a local hometown hero. And, and then this business was now uh, kind of, um, I kind of felt like a celebrity, a little celebrity in my, in my little world. And I had some money and it was about, uh, kind of living that, living that dream. I grew up, you know, listening to a lot of hip hop and I felt like I was a rapper, you know, um, going to clubs and things like that, you know, before 20, you know, before even being of age and like, um, just having a lifestyle that like, I, I only saw, you know, in music videos basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the third company, which was Involver, which um, ultimately I sold to Oracle, that I started, you know, I moved to Silicon Valley. I feel like there was a, I was kind of moving from like a, a small, a big fish in a small pond to uh, a small fish in a big pond. Yeah, and yeah. once again, I had sort of a chip on my shoulder. I had something to prove. And, and, the stakes were higher. It was, you know, there was more success in that growth in that business and success in that business. So, uh, it, it, uh, it, it, um, it was an intense experience and, and uh, kind of looking back on it reflectively, I'd say, uh, it was where it became very clear to me that, um, there were certain things I was good at doing in my life. And, and um, I would say, you know, that, that would be, you know, setting a goal and achieving it. Um, but, uh, you know, the humans, the human skills, uh, um, starting just from a place from within, like I had, uh, I was starting from, from a pretty low point. Right. And, and I don't, and I was never, that was not even conscious to, I wasn't even conscious to that until, until afterwards. Then um, in between the third and the fourth business, I started to, ask myself these questions like, Hey, I, uh, I like, I thought it was going to be this huge outcome and it was a good outcome, but it wasn't a huge outcome. And why? And I kind of looking at the responsibility that, that I had, um, instead of kind of pointing fingers at others. And as I started that discovery that led me to, um, you know, I, 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 I found a psychiatrist, uh, and started doing therapy, um, twice a week. Uh, while I was at Oracle, actually, um, big shout out to Oracle that I had, you know, I got the flexibility in my life to um, in my yep. schedule, you know, to prioritize that work. I, um, you know, I started to open up more to my, my partner, my now wife, uh, who um, was, as I said, feeling a draw towards coaching. And I guess I was her first client. Uh, and so yeah. became more of a, I started to open up my world to her a lot more. And then the third thing I did was I started to talk to friends of mine about these types of issues and discovered, uh, kind of came up with like, came up with a whole new set of friends and almost, um, uh, who were asking themselves the same questions 
And I found this um, organization called Conscious Leadership. Uh, and there is a book called 15 Commitments of Conscious uh, Leaders. And, and one of the co-authors, Diana Chapman, became my coach. And I joined, a, my, my friends put a group together and I joined uh, a forum, uh, you know, with about 12 of us. And uh, I, I, I did that while starting the fourth business. Uh, and I think as a result of starting from that place of, uh, you know, curiosity, deep curiosity around an introspection, like of self, uh, I feel like this fourth business basically was like a manifestation of, of a lot of this, uh, a lot of this energy, a lot of this inquiry. And so out of, first of all, it's, it's like a, it's an education business. So I, I got very excited about, uh, impact, creating social impact rather than just generating, you know, dollars to hit quotas. Yeah. Uh, two is I, I focused on a population, uh, like serving a population of learners that um, are underserved in a variety of different ways, whether it's, uh, you know, socioeconomically or ge geographically, or um, whether they have degrees or not have degrees or are you know, black, white, or anywhere in between. Um, and thirdly, uh, while it's focused on sales training, uh, imbued within the, within the curriculum, uh, imbued within the organization that's delivering the curriculum, uh, are a set of, you know, human-centered principles um, and thinking and ideals that uh, I really want to see uh, exist in the future of work. Mm. And, uh, uh, so this business has probably been the hardest business, uh, you know, to, to kind of pull off and, uh, to get to a stage of scale. Um, it's also been the most fulfilling. Mm. Yeah. And if I remember correctly too, in that same realm, because you had these cohorts, there was a lot of, you know, this wasn't software driven. There was a lot mm -hmm. of education mm -hmm. in the early days you're disrupting the education system mm -hmm. by creating a model that takes someone who knows nothing and putting them in a role where they're making 70, 80, you know, or more, you know, $1,000. Uh, by the way, the SDR, so sales um, development, representative, development yeah. representatives. Yeah. That was kind of the main gist. Yeah. And now you've obviously refined since then and you've got some software help with all of that. Mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. But what would you say to the disruption side? What kind of friction did you face? And again, looking into the future, what are opportunities that lie in this kind of education? Yeah, I think there are three lenses or you know, three dimensions to like answering this question. One is like through the eyes of the employers, which is where we started. If you remember, Angus, like when we started. You know, four four years ago, five years ago, uh, we were always saying that in order to kind of create this disruption, we need the employers to not just buy in, but actually drive the change. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where the employment outcomes, that's where the money is coming from. I think the first thing was getting employers to appreciate that the old world way of operating, um, which basically was devoid of training, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of focusing on, call it this homogenous, low-hanging fruit. I like to think about it as white male lacrosse, rich white male lacrosse player, 
right? And, tier one, and it's like tier one school, like, you know, like red meat eating, you know, crushing, you know, like uses like language. Like I crush this and I crush yes. that, uh, that, that, uh, there were other ways, there were other communities, there were other profiles of talent out there that could drive growth in their organizations at the same level or better. Um, and getting kind of comfortable with um, with accepting that, because much of the establishment has come through that uh, that 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 world, and and may identify with that themselves directly, or or kind of you know um, may 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 kind of have have seen patterns of success um, uh, doing things in one way. So I'd say that that was one thing. I'd say the other the, the other uh, way was on the other side, the actual job seekers. Um, seeing that not just that investing in training can create uh, more fulfilling outcomes, but actually seeing that there, the cognitive dissonance between how difficult these sales jobs can be, these human-centered jobs, uh, and the payoff, you know, 12, 24 months, 36 months down, down the road. Um, because many of us don't wake up, including Many of us who come from underserved communities, uh, now we may have likely have done some sales, some retail, worked in a mall, right? Um, had summer jobs, that kind of thing. Uh, may currently be doing it to, you know, support our families. But none of us sort of, many of us don't look at that work as our life's work. You know, it's just a way to to support yourself. And so sales, I think, a reimagination was was needed um, and continues to be needed. And I think the third thing is. Um, assessment. So in order to create kind of the type of transformation uh, we want to see between learners and employers and for it to be sustained, assessment of, of the human-centered skill development is, uh, is like at the core of, of keeping the trains running. Um, and assessing human-centered skills is difficult. It's easy to, to evaluate someone's coding ability uh, and you can do that programmatically, but it's it's really hard to assess someone's human skills um, progress, and they're both their baseline and and kind of hitting certain milestones. It's just not something that we've done a great job of in education or in workforce training, and it's a core part of making the whole machine work. And uh, I'd say maybe the hardest of the three pieces I mentioned. So that's where I want to go in this next step is, you know, you said there were some core things that were both internal with the programming of the mm -hmm. education, in addition to the programming of the company as a culture. Mm -hmm. What are some of those pillars of the human nature, the human side? Let me just pause for a second to say this. There is one trait that you will find in every successful leader, no matter their industry, no matter their role. And that trait is action. And we want to inspire ambitious leaders like you to bet on yourself and take action on those audacious goals that you see in your heart. That's why we created our 90 day accelerator. It's a results driven battle tested framework designed specifically for high performing leaders like you to get unstuck and propel you towards your goals. 
And in just 90 days, you won't even recognize the person you used to be. To be a part of this elite community, go to evolveleadership.org. Now, back to the show. Well, I, as I mentioned, the 15 commitments of conscious leaders, uh, that body of work that has really influenced like Raheem 4.0, right? Um, The first two commitments, the first one is around 100% responsibility. And the second one is around curiosity. And so when I think about those two, I, those two commitments, I see those as like universal um, in the sense that uh, they're kind of, it's, it's like age old wisdom uh, and um, also very directly relevant to being successful in entry-level sales in a, in a highly competitive business environment. So the first one is 100% responsibility. You know, I just, when I look back at my own, my own life, or I look at the, you know, the worlds of our, our graduates who are going into these sales positions, when you're working in a professional environment, as an example, a highly competitive, high-growth startup, there's so much change that's happening. And in the sales role, as an example, uh, for example, even right now, you know, with a softening of like the macros and the macro economy, uh, you could have like the default mode, maybe, you know, I, I pick up the phone and I, and I reach out to a cold prospect and I get hung up on, and then I repeat it and I get hung up on 10 times. And then I send 20 emails out and none of those emails get responded to. And I, a default mode might be like, well, the world sucks. The economy sucks. These companies suck. My manager has given me a, sh- a crappy territory. Um, they don't train me well. Um, I have to also like work. I have an, a second job I have to do, or I have a, to caretake for my family. There are lots of different things that you can be at the effect of, right? And you know the view that 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 we try to to espouse ourselves because like this is such a journey individually as much as it is for. Uh, you know, what we try to train the community on is, um, you know, your best self uh, comes out when, when you're taking 100% of your responsibility, no less and no more. And so what might come up when you take that view is that, well, could I have been better prepared for that call? Like, could I have done more research? Or it could be, do I need to just double the amount of activity that's necessary uh, and reach out to 20 people instead of 10 people? Uh, to get just because things have changed out there. And I just, that's what the world is telling me. It's even what the universe is telling me. Uh, and then I think the second piece around curiosity, I think it's the detachment from, from wanting to be right. And I think about that for our community in terms of, um, there's many ways in which which it comes up, but you know, for example, a lot of like interpersonal issues in, in kind of a high stakes, you know, startup environment where um, uh, you, if you're not taking 100% responsibility, you may, you may very well believe that I am n- like this, per- like you might say like this product sucks. Yeah. Like this product cannot sell. I know it. Like I've talked to 10 people. I've talked to, to 100 people. I've talked to 1,000 people. It doesn't sell. And, um, 
And, uh, you know, if I even zoom out and I think about my own life as an example, like this comes up a lot for me where, where I have to push myself to take the opposite point of view and to see why something does work. So the macro economy right now, well, this sucks. And there's a lot of reasons to say that it sucks. I can, I, I can also notice that like, I'm, I am, um, you know, I, I, th- that the stories that the economy sucks and are bad for business have a, a grip on me. Like there's a strong grip I have. And when I notice something like that, I notice like, I notice attachment. I know some, I notice a story has a strong grip. I immediately try to loosen it and start to say, well, where actually might there be the gift right now? And, uh, and that same thing that we tried to train at SV Academy. Like if you get one rejection, where might the gift be there? Um, just detaching yourself from wanting to be so right for the world to be in a, to operate in a certain way. Um, and then constantly sort of being displeased that it's not working exactly the way that you want to yeah. um, and just being more fluid with it. So let me ask you this uh, in that same context, because we all know this, whether it's in sales and marketing, a lot of it is a product of how I see myself in this situation, just like you described. Mm-hmm. We can play the victim mentality because these issues, these surrounding things, oh, this is why, oh, my product sucks, oh, da, 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 but yeah. in reality is, am I coming from a place of victim mentality? Am I at yeah. lack? deficit, whatever. Now, when I show up to this, you know, sales call, Mm -hmm. I'm already sabotaging myself energetically because I'm not Mm going to have excitement about my product or about Mm -hmm. my thing. Mm -hmm. So let me take that into leadership because Mm -hmm. we know that can happen from a sales side, but where are the moments when you've had to like dig deep, or maybe you just went into that dark night and hit that wall of shit. Now what? How do you see yourself in those challenging moments? Well, I think between companies three and four, there was a lot of uh, work that I did along the lines of that theme. So as I mentioned, I had a company that was was incredibly high-flying. You know, it, it was you know, one of the top like cloud companies uh, in the category. Um, We're just growing like crazy. And as I mentioned, we had a good outcome, but not a great outcome. And, you know, I thought about that. Uh, Why? Why? What happened? Um, uh, Some of my competitors did fabulously well. Uh, Same product, you know, same general approach. Um, And for the longest time, I would just, I would, as I, I, as the victim, I would, the stories I would tell myself were around how I was at the effect of everything around me. And, you know, in a startup, there's tons of different things that you can point to and say, that has failed me, that has failed me, that has failed me, could be an investor, a board member, or could be, could be the market, you know, changed quickly on me, it could be that hire that I made really screwed me up, um, on and on and on and on. And I was noticing, I was just stuck in this like loop of victimhood. And I don't know, like the only way I was able to get out of it was to move from my mind to my body mm-hmm. and start to recognize, wow, one, I have a body. Like I, 
you know, I, I forget that all the time. Yeah. Right. Um, but just noticing like how it felt in my body when I would have, when I would like be in victimhood on the issue. And uh, the stories that I had around victimhood were like really strong and deeply entrenched. And so they like intellectually felt good. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, they felt safe, but my, but I never felt good in my body. And until I made that connection, uh, I was unable to shift. Yeah. And uh, once I started actually tuning into like how I was feeling in my body, I, from that place, I was able to say, hmm, I don't like these butterflies that I feel here. I don't like the tenseness that I feel like every day. It just doesn't feel good. And I want to feel differently. Yeah. And, and I think I, that's and it sort of started from there and worked itself out. Ah, that's rich. And now, flash forward, you're running a team where now the system's in place. By the way, my contract said February 2017. Okay. Okay. So that let's so, put some time in there, dude. That's crazy. You've been on a ride. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Cause we do cohorts. You know, our 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 program has cohorts and they start, you know, every, you know, every so often on, on a routine calendar. And we've now had over a hundred of those cohorts. And February would have been our first cohort. Yeah. So that is, uh, that, that, that's like an incredible ride for sure. Yeah. So you think about, you know, the, the owner, the founder, the, the, the boss, the, the chief that you were then mm -hmm. now here we are ishy six years later, almost. Yeah. So, Five and a half. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I tried to measure months. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Who, who's the guy on the screen now mm. versus that guy, glossy eyed, ambitious, and naive? You know, I started my response to your question about the journeys across the four startups with the framing of moving from where I sourced approval from. Uh, starting with sourcing approval externally to sor sourcing approval from within. And, and another word for approval for me, a synonym is love. And so mm -hmm. I think, you know, where was I five and a half years ago? Who was that, uh, that leader? Um, and how that leader has grown on that question, on that, on that, uh, on that concept. And I feel... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I feel like in some ways I've, well, to be fair, I think I've made a ton of progress, uh, in where I source approval, where I source love from the more progress I make, the more I realize, uh, how much more there is for me to go. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and, and not in like a pessimistic way, but, but really in like an optimistic, like, like my, uh, expectations for how rich life could be. Uh, how vibrant, how juicy it could be is, is uh, way bigger. Like my vision for myself is way, way bigger. And I don't mean in terms of like monetarily, like, uh, I, cause I've always had this, Oh, I want to, you know, make X amount of money and, and, you know, make, take my company public and not that kind of stuff, which is like more extrinsic, but more in terms of what it feels like the energy. I feel like the life force. I feel like showing up every day, uh, in whatever may be happening in this crazy ass world, whether it's, you know, at work or with my family. And, and one of the things I was telling you in our pre-call time was that I now have two kids. I, 
five and a half years ago, I didn't. And that's been a profound change for me. And part of what happened when I went to go see this psychiatrist uh, in between companies three and four is uh, uh, moving from like fear to excitement on the question of having a family. And, and I remember uh, his name is Dr. Seymour Borstein. Sadly, he passed away a few years ago. Just a wonderful human, wonderful soul. I remember him asking me, well, what if your life's pur- purpose was to raise the next Gandhi? Mm. And it was a, a way of like capturing a vision for myself uh, and a magnitude of, of a vision that was like way different than, than who, I, who, who I was, you know, um, when I started SV Academy. And, uh, and so I'd say the one you see here is, uh, is someone who is not just on the journey uh, of, of, of love um, uh, and, and where I source love, uh, but also one that has a much greater vision for himself and and sees like far more possibilities for my work in this life than than I did when I started. Love it. And while you were talking, one of my children was out on the patio, was sticking her head around the patio just inside my view. I'm out the window and she's like waving at me. <laughs> I'm right there with you, bro. Uh, so let me Love turn this to, to the contagion piece of this, meaning yeah. The whole reason why we exist, you know, with evolved men and 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 helping male leaders step out of whatever BS story they tell themselves, it doesn't allow them the opportunity to grow and to take on growth mindsets and to understand some of the things you've just described. What would you want to tell the guy who is head down, work hard, don't feel? kind of leadership, what is the thing that you would tell that man? I would say, uh, are you truly recognizing the full cost, the, the full cost of what may be possible for you, what you may be able to create in this world as a consequence of of this way of being. Mm. And I think change happens in two ways. Either your vision increases or the costs increase. And I think for, for many people, uh, including my mentor, you know, I had a, a mentor at Oracle, my competitor. He was my competitor in my, my third business. Both companies got acquired by Oracle at the same time. We became part of the same group and uh, he he did fabulously well uh, in all aspects, uh, you know, uh, um, externally, um, materially, and um, you know, sadly he 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 passed away like a you know a couple of years after the acquisition. And um, I look uh, I look at <clears throat> his example, and I just remind myself of how short life is, and. Um, I don't want to be that person. And, you know, if you're hearing this, this, this audio, this podcast right now, um, don't wait until 
you know, the, the, the discomfort becomes so great. For example, you know, your body gives out or you lose somebody that you really care about in your life um, before you make the changes that you probably already, if you're listening to this, probably already know you need to make, but have not been committed to. Uh, and and, uh, and the, the best way I can think of really kind of helping to get you there is to help you tune into the real cost of not making a change. And by that, we understand from a business construct that we're like, oh, opportunity costs, we have to move or we have to invest or we have to grow, we have to innovate, we have this, but what we don't realize so often is that the opportunity cost is also what we're missing out on by not connecting to that yeah. internal source that you described, that internal love where I always say the guys, our biggest trouble is the compensation we make for this feeling of not being worthy, not deserving, or not having what it takes. For sure. Wow. And so in this place of pursuit for validation to compensate, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or that empty, hollow, apathetic feeling that we wake up every day with. Yeah. And we don't have the self-awareness or the acknowledgement that what you're feeling is a signal, mm -hmm. a sign. And you think, because you're so isolated as a dude, you think this is normal. Oh, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get together with other apathetic yeah. miserable leaders and they're all feeling like, yeah, me too. And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. we're all supposed yeah. to hate our lives. Yeah. That is not the way it's supposed no. to be. You know, I think it would be different, right? Why? Well, and this is why I think, you know, two and a half years ago when, when we went into shelter in place with COVID, it, I remember how down I felt in that moment. And there's still like a bitterness I feel about sort of how uh, things sort of change so quickly um, everywhere. I also heard more from, from people I, 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 I care deeply about and, and, and was in connection with about um, kind of reevaluating, re like using this, that, that, that moment of time to go like, oh my God, well, maybe the, the stories and the scripts that you know, I've been told like all along, maybe they're not like, they're not the, the, the represent the best set of possibilities for me. Maybe there is actually, Maybe they're basically, maybe I can be happier. Uh, and, you know, finding, <clears throat> I think a lot of people made a lot of shifts in those moments. And, you know, I, I see that with you as well. And I see that with others that, um, you know, have asked themselves the same question. And, and, and that's, again, where I go, like, don't wait for another economic downturn. Don't wait for another pandemic. Don't wait for, you know, something kind of cataclysmic like that to happen again before you know, you really take stock of your, the choices you're making in life. Uh, we have every moment uh, as an opportunity to, to choose uh, what we prioritize and, and how we live our lives. And uh, don't let even another moment go by. You don't have to. Come on. You heard it here, guys. You're listening. <laughs> We're speaking to you. Your intuition is telling you. Mm -hmm. If this struck a chord with you, do something, take action, whatever that might be. As we wrap up another episode of Evolve Leadership, thank you so much for taking time to invest in you. 
If there's to be any sustainable growth in your company or even in your relationships, you must grow first. And it's what I love to do for leaders, to help them grow, to challenge their thinking, sharpen self-awareness, to instill an unshakable confidence, and ultimately upgrade their sense of self. And we do this through our proprietary method called Agile EQ+, where we're leveraging agile leadership and emotional intelligence. We provide our signature training for individuals and for businesses, we've designed a unique curriculum for company-wide learning and development. If you'd like to learn more about our training or to schedule a call, you can simply go to evolveleadership.org. And until next time, stay driven, keep climbing, and never stop evolving.